You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right, good morning. I appreciate John uh, taking care of the services and putting things together and switching things up a little bit, too. And it's kind of like our metabolism, right? Sometimes you need to switch things up a little bit to, to kind of appreciate what you have. And, but I appreciate John doing that. Uh, John's been doing this for about a year and a half. And uh, this over this last summer, uh, he's been out, he was out of town quite a bit. And I, I want to lift up James Lem. James stood up and uh, really took care of the services. And uh, where are you, James? All right, James, thanks so much. He did a great job. And it was a steep learning curve, uh, pulling people together, ushers and all that stuff. Uh, thanks so much, James. Great job. I really appreciate Court's uh, contribution message. Really, it's uh, a great job. And the reason why I thought it was such a great job was that he's, he's sharing with you that he's wrestling through it. It's not like he's arrived anywhere, you know. It's like we, we don't arrive. The only time we arrive is when our GPS says you have arrived to your death. That's about it because everything else we have not arrived. And I appreciate Court because he's sharing with us the different stages in life, like the campus ministry. Maybe you don't have a lot to give, but you're, you're setting a precedent for your heart. You're making sacrifices. You're, you're giving up this and that, and you're training your heart so that when you do have some money, you can give. Because when you're not training your heart, and when you do have some money, you keep it. Right? So it's, it's the little things that we do. I appreciate him sharing the fact that he, uh, you know, as a young uh, married couple, too, and the, the, the struggles that they go through. It's like, ooh, we really could keep this and pay off our student loan quicker, faster, and, and then we'll give. Those are the things that really what sets apart what it means to be a disciple. It's not like we've arrived. It's that like when we read God's word, we look at it, we make adjustments, and we repent, and we change. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's the wrestling part that really sets people apart. So that when they don't look at the scripture and just kind of go blasé,ly just kind of, is that a word, blasé?ly Anyways, you look it up. You know, it's like a <laughs> blasé sense. You just got to go look over it without really even considering it. And that's what we're doing today. We're considering God's word. Amen? I want to welcome you. Uh, this is the West Side Church of the Greater L.A. International Church of Christ. And there are about 6,000 people throughout the L.A. area uh, worshiping uh, today, throughout the day. But we are on the west side. Uh, I do want to welcome Liliana Zimler. Let me get Liliana to stand on out. Liliana is an old friend of the west side. And uh, she's back here. Liliana, it's great having you. Uh, they live in Florida. Liliana, did they tell you to flee this far? <laughs> like 3,000 miles out? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Zeke, who's a student at Pepperdine, he uh, got sick this past week, so Liliana came back. Please keep praying for Zeke if you're in the campus ministry there, okay? And uh, I want to thank, uh, speaking of floods and Harvey and stuff like that, I know today's a really big day for a lot of brothers here, the beginning of the NFL football season, right? Right? Oh, I guess not. Uh, I thought it was funny that it's the beginning of football season, and there's this big storm named after a woman that's coming in to destroy everything. So I, I thought that was really cool. But that's another story. Um, last week, uh, we took up a contribution for, uh, took a while to get that one. I was like, what does that have to do with NFL? Um, last week, we took a contribution for the victims of Hurricane Harvey, and I really appreciate our church here on the west side. 
Uh, you guys give a lot of money all the time. And every time we have something, uh, I think the West Side's kind of like the, the, the young son, you know, saying, I don't want to do it. But at the end of the day, you know, we really uh, come through. And I really appreciate that about the West. I mean, you give me nerves. You give me like, you make me nervous, but I appreciate uh, the West always coming through. And I think the money will, will be put in good use uh, towards that end. Another thing I appreciate about the West is that you only not, uh, you know, stepped up for the contribution and financially. But last night, uh, we put together an open mic night. And uh, I heard it was a lot of fun. I wasn't there. I was working on my lesson. But my wife went. She came back just beaming and just so appreciative of the way that uh, people stood, you know, just, just gave of themselves. Uh, I saw snippets of... Hanley doing his impersonation of Michael Jackson. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Uh, Chris McGrath did his, uh, you know, long ambition of just being a folk singer. He did a couple of songs there, Chris McGrath. Uh, there were some stand-up acts as well. And I just want to thank the singles and uh, for just really putting that on. Well done. Well done. Nick, Emma, Sean, Susan Johnson... Uh, Karen uh, Shaw put that really where the main people put together. And then uh, I want to lift up to Izuchuku as well uh, for opening up their homes and allowing 80 people to really invade their homes and uh, just really uh, stir things up. Uh, I think the, the association is writing a letter as we speak right now uh, to the Izuchuku about the noise. But amen. So I think there's going to be part two of that, I think, right? Part two. So if you didn't get a chance to participate last night, don't worry. Chaz, I know, you, you can do it. Maybe we can do a duet together or something like that. <laughs> you know, let's do this. Let's do this. So I didn't show up because I just want to see. You want to see. I'm just kidding. Work up my nerves uh, for that. All right. I think we're good, right? We've been working on a series called I Am, the seven I Am statements of Jesus. These are bold proclamations of who he is. So when Jesus came on earth, people were trying to figure out who this dude was. Right? What was he about? Was he a carpenter? Was he, you know, he was the son of Mary. He lived in Egypt for a while. Da, da, da. Who he was, but not only that, but they were trying to figure out what he was as well. That he's not only just a great human teacher that came from Nazareth or you know, had all these great experience with, with the rabbis of his day that was able to expound these great philosophy, but they were trying to figure out what he was. And that is really significant for us today. Okay? What he is and what he was has uber significance for us today because a lot of people throughout history have claimed this or claimed that. But to establish Jesus as the Son of God puts weight to what we believe in and helps us to have assurance of, is he able to save us? Is he able to do what he said? And these seven claims of I am statements is quite phenomenal. And today we're going to talk about I am the resurrection, which is really the pinnacle importance in terms of events in human history. And we're going to look at that today. You know, I am is, we'll start off with that right off the bat. It's an incredible proclamation all by itself. When Moses was charged with going up to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh who had sent him, and what did God say? God says, 
I am sent you. And it's a little bit like, what does that really mean? And that is a title in itself. I am. God is saying that I am. There is no one greater than me. There is nothing that you can describe that fully encapsulate who I am. I am who I am. That's why idolatry is such a terrible thing. Whether idols in terms of a human man-made thing or idolatry in our hearts or in our minds is that there is no substitution for God. That is such an affront and such an offense towards God to make something ahead of God. That's why idolatry was such a great sin. If you look at the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it talks about that before the Ten Commandments, it's even ever presented. God says, I am the great God. So we got to know who we are worshiping, what we are worshiping as well. And today as we look at the resurrection, that has uber implication for us. You know, the storm is passing by as we speak in southern Florida with gusts of winds up to 140 miles an hour. I think it's, uh, it's elevated to Category 4. And I think a lot of people are thinking about that even as we speak. Sometimes we think we're all that, right? And a giant storm the size of Texas comes in and go, you know what, well, maybe we're not all that. And we really need to consider our lives and how small it is and how much we really need to think about what's going to happen after we die. And that's why the resurrection is such an important topic to talk about today. And I appreciate John giving me 40 minutes today instead of the usual 30. Thanks so much. But there's another reason for that too, is that as we finish out, we're going to see how Jesus fits into the story himself. And obviously we'll take communion together. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you that we can stand here on a beautiful day in Southern California while the rest of the country is going through all kinds of havoc. God, there's not only one storm, but there's like three storms uh, all swirling at the same time. Father, help us to be grateful to you. Open up our minds as we look at so many scriptures today. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures today. Help us to be attentive and really understand what you're trying to convey to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am. I am the resurrection. That's a bold statement to make. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. If you want to have eternal life, you got to go through me. There's no book that you can read. There's no whatever you can buy. There's no elixir that you can drink. It is only through me that you're going to have eternal life. And that is the most important question of our day today. What's not we're going to eat for lunch? You know, our job tomorrow is what's going to happen to us when we die? And that question has been asked throughout time, as long as people have been alive. That's the question that they have. In Daniel chapter 2, the old Jewish people would look at this question and they look at and they think about this particular passage of what's going to happen at the end. Multitudes who sleep in the dust and on earth will awake some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. So Daniel lays it out. What's going to happen? He said at the end of it, God's going to have this day of reckoning and this day of resurrection. And he, there is a separation of people. Not everybody's going to, going to make it. Not everybody's going to stand in God's presence. And Daniel says there is a separation. There is a judgment. And this is a sobering passage that the Jews throughout the centuries think about in terms of their lives and what's going to happen at the end. 
And in our modern sense, 2017, we don't like that perhaps. That we have a vision of God that's all loving, Santa Claus-like. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, yeah, God is loving, but we also have a choice to make in this life. And I love that movie, you know, by, uh, it's called Gladiator, and it's kind of like a, you know, like one of those war movies. And I love at the beginning of the movie where, you know, the general says, what we do here in life echoes in eternity. And it reminisces of the scripture here, that what we do matters. That it's not just wake up in the morning and whatever and come what may. There has to be an intentionality to the way that we live. We've got to think about these things. These are big, huge things that face us. This lifetime is very short. Eternity is really long. To a point where the great philosophy of the days, the, 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 they, they urge us. They go, you know what? Eternity is such a long time and this life is such a short thing. Bet that there is God. Bet that there is eternity and bet that there are consequences because that's a good bet. That's a really good bet. So we talk about that today and the Jews have been thinking about it and this is what they thought about before Jesus came. They didn't know everything about what was going to happen at the end of life, but they knew that there was going to be a judgment day. They knew that there was going to be a separation of where people go for eternity. And that was was on their mind as Jesus came. We think about that as well. This is a quote from Joel Stein, I guess about 20 years ago. This is really popular as Starbucks came to being, that they have these thoughts of the day. And this is what Joel Stein, he's a columnist for the LA Times at that time, but he is a columnist for the uh, Time Magazine at this time. And this is what he said. It's quite funny, actually. It's a little bit far for me. He says, heaven is totally overrated. He says, it seems boring. Clouds, listening to people play the harp. It should be somewhere you can't wait to go, like a luxury hotel. Maybe blue skies and musics were enough to keep people in line in the 17th century. But heaven is going to have to step it up a little bit. They're basically getting by because the only, uh, they only have to be better than hell. Joe Stein. This is really funny, actually, to think about. And it's so true. He's a satirist of our day, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, the conception about what heaven is is not very appealing, sitting around on clouds, listening to people play harps all day. But you've got to ask yourself, just like so many religious things today, does that really speak accurately to what the Bible actually says about what heaven is? And my answer is no. And the scripture today will show you that it's not. It's not just sitting around. It's so much more greater that if Joel really understood what heaven is like, what eternity really is like, he wouldn't write stuff like this. But to his credit, that's what it's been painted over the years. That, that this life is actually a little bit more appealing than what heavenly is, and it cannot be further than the truth. And the reason why we say that is like, hey, look, we did, that's something that we're... Working towards, that's what, I'm not, I'm not saying that in terms of we're working towards our relationship with God, but they, yeah, it is, in terms of working towards understanding what the reality really is. This guy is a Pulitzer Prize winning author that died in, in 1981, I think. And he says, everybody has to die, but I always believe an exception would be made in my case. 
He died five days later. There is no exception. Everybody dies. This guy's an Armenian Pulitzer Prize winning author as he ponders about what life is. He says everybody dies. There is no exception. I don't care how great, how rich you are. I think about Richard Branson. He's, uh, he made a decision to, to, to dig in his hole in a uh, wine cellar in Florida right now and ride out the storm. Billions, with all the billions that he has. He can't buy eternal life. First right? Corinthians 15, Paul talks about that as well, the great apostle. He says, For what I receive, I pass on to you is first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 other brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. A lot of times apologetic you know, Christians will try to prove the existence of, of, of Jesus and the resurrection through all the, you know, they roll the weight of stones and all this stuff here. Those things are great. But what's really amazing about the resurrection of Jesus, the hope that we have, is what? That these are the testimony of people that lay down their lives for what we believe today. These are the people that gave up their lives for, for the faith and write down their faith so that we believe today. He says, what I have received, I'm passing on to you. This is my conviction about what is the reality of what's going to happen to mankind. That Jesus is the resurrection. Let me ask you this, and I, I want to just pose this as a quick question. If we don't believe that Jesus is a res- resurrection, which is, to me, incredibly viable and feasible, what is our answer? Does, does humanity offer something better? I don't think so. If you're going to knock something, you've got to come up with something else to go, I don't believe that, but here's what I got. You can't just say, I don't believe that, and there's nothing else that we are putting forth uh, to, to, to solve this problem. So Paul is saying, this is the solution to the biggest question of them all. This is the biggest question to the ultimate question. What happens after we die? And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so our faith is as well. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, then those who have been fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. Let me stop there for a second. If we listen to Christianity, if we look at the Bible and just to go, I want a better life. I want not the gospel. I want good advice. Not the good news, but good advice. I want to just better myself a little bit. I want to have a better marriage. I want to have a better relationship with my kids. And those things are good. Those things are great things. But Paul says, man, there is so much more than that. Do you know that? A lot of people like what Court said earlier, the prosperity gospel. They want the gospel so that this life is going to be great and all that, but it still doesn't solve the main problem. There's a stupidity to this scripture that Paul's saying, it's stupid to, to, to believe in God just for these reasons, these, these temporal reasons. He's upping the ante a little bit. He says, we are all, we of all people uh, we all are of all people most to be pitied. He says, if that's all we're in this thing for is to get a good few advice about how to progress in this life, we are to be pitied 
most people. We give up things for obviously no reason. We're wasting our time. This is the Apostle Paul. That's real. He said, that's real. He's laying it out. He says, if you're not understanding. Remember last week we talked about I am the good shepherd. What is Jesus the good shepherd of? Our bank accounts? He's the good shepherd of our 401k? He's the good shepherd of our marriage? He's the good shepherd of our souls. That's what he's the good shepherd of. So Paul says, what? If we don't understand why we're here, we're wasting our time. The resurrection, that's why it's so important today. It gives us a sense of like, man, I need to care about my soul. I need to take some soul care. Take care of myself. Amen? Paul says, but Christ has indeed raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have been fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. Paul says, listen, Jesus is the resurrection. You want to live eternally? He's the man. He's the one. And through him and him only. Paul says this, in response to Joe Stein, are we going to be floating? This is a really great scripture. It gives us a glimpse of what it's like, and it will blow away some of the paintings perhaps we have in our mind, some of the ideas that we have in our minds of what heaven is like, and you're going to like this. He says, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We all like mystery, right? We all love a good mystery. I do. We will not all asleep, but we will... All be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with, the, with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that it is, that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And here's Paul mocking death itself. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Isn't that cool? Let's unwrap this. That's like a real famous religious word. Let's unwrap this. That's what they say that a lot, unwrapping, you know. Let's unwrap this a little bit. <laughs> it's a good word, nonetheless. He's saying that, look, when we die, like what Daniel was talking about, when Paul was talking about, what happens when we die is not like we go straight to heaven. He said there is a day when there is a general resurrection where everybody will be raised up. And that's where the judgment takes place, to the left, to the right. But he says, and that time, until that time, when we die, when we fall asleep, there is a holding place that we go to. And some theologian says that in that holding place, we will know pretty much where we're going, where the bus is going. All right? So Paul is saying, let me tell you a mystery. He says, listen, it's not like this world's going to be thrown away and we're going to be floating in the air forever. No, God is not like that. He will replace this perishable body with imperishable body. He's going to replace mortality with immortality. And for those who are in Christ, we get to experience that. Think about this for a second. As we speak right now, 
Irma is going through the coast, of the east coast, the west coast of Florida, wreaking havoc on it. You think that they're just going to get rid of that state? They say, oh, forget it. You know, it's over. Let's everybody move to another state. You know, Liliana's here scouting a house, you know, for them to come back on. No, they're not. They're going to rebuild that place. And guess what? Guess what? They're going to rebuild it better. They're going to up their codes a little bit to category four, category five. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying God's not going to get rid of this. This is his creation. He's not a loser. He's not going to just give up on it. What he's going to do, he's going to restore it. He's going to restore it with something better. And as a 50-year-old man, I said, praise be to God. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to having immortality. I'm looking forward to having the imperishable. You think Christians are weak, mingling little buffoons walking around? Actually, true Christians are really greedy. They're really selfish in this way. They want something that no one else can have, eternal life. Christians are actually pretty astute. It's a good investment, I think. It's a great investment. It's a great retirement. It's better than anything anyone else can come up with. Christians are actually pretty smart. Pretty smart. For creation, not just man, but think think about this. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation itself is waiting for us to get our act together. That's what that scripture is saying. Isn't that cool? I know last week we talked about how the animals are a little bit frustrated, how the sheep might be a little frustrated that we're being compared to them, right? So he kicks off this kid, say, get off me, kid. But creation itself is saying, look, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by his own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Frustration is not just with us. It, creation itself is frustrated. And a lot of it is frustrated with us. You know, there's a lot of talk about global warming, right? I don't know. With these giant storms coming, 8.1 earthquake, then I know we have all this stuff all the time throughout history, but I don't know. It, there might be something there. That all the pollutants that were thrown up in the air, all the stuff that were messing around, there's something there. I mean, I, I, I think instinctively that's what I feel. There's three storms right now in the Gulf. I mean, there's something there, right? There's Irma, there's Jose to the right. There's, I don't even know who that one is in the Gulf. It's like it's just brewing. It's, it's, it's frustration. It, things are off kilter. Environment is off kilter. And I think, I think Florida's in trouble, Liliana. I mean, I think it's really in trouble. I, I think it's, I think 100 years from now, 200 years from now, I, I think we really have to think about these things. I don't, but Gabby probably does. You know, these things, I, I, probably it's not going to be in my lifetime. But it will. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. The redemption of our bodies. Let me talk to the teens here. You think you are invincible right now. I was a teen once. Running around, not caring about what happened. You know what? It goes by really fast. I'm not kidding. I'm 50. I look back. What happened? That was fast. The days are slow, but the years are fast. The days are slow, but the years are fast. 
Think about these things. These things are really important. Think about what happens in the afterlife. Resurrection. I got three points today. And you go, finally, Ken, you get into your points? Let me share a little bit about this, okay? And this is an aside. I've been preaching for a long time. And there are different styles to preaching. And whether you sit here as a teacher or a businessman or a professor or a layperson or you see that from that perspective. But I think it's really important as we take our personal experience that we don't impugn our experience into what a sermon or whatever looks like. Because in the Bible itself, it is a little bit frustrating because there's this thing called the indicative and there's this thing called the imperative. And what it's saying is that a lot of times, Paul spends a lot of time painting this picture and he gives the three points really quickly. Because in order for us to do the three points, we have to understand why we do the three points. So it's not just this linear, has to be this way. If you look at the Bible, it's full of stories. And God chose to do it that way. There are many different ways of conveying God's message. So that's my excuse for coming up with the three points so late into the game. Is that okay? I got 12 minutes to do this. There are three points, three quick ones. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there for two more days. And he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Remember we talked about how Jesus is the good shepherd? He lays down his life. Well, he went on the other side because his life was being threatened. Now he heard that his friends are sick and his friend is sick and these sisters are really suffering. He said, let us go back to the other side. The disciple says, hey, look, um, you're going to be killed over there, right? Let me skip this part here because... He says, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews who tried to stone you, and you're trying to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight is not, uh, will not stumble, but they see by the world's light. I have no clue what that means. I studied it out. I don't think anyone else has a clue what it means. But the point is that he went back, okay? So the disciples like, okay, fine, great, let's go back. So he goes back from Perea there on the right side, across the Jordan, back into Judea. That was Jesus' ministry. Okay? He was the good shepherd. He traveled around. He made house calls. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. Jesus said to her as he sees these people suffering, he says, I am the resurrection of the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that is the question that we have today. Do we believe this? Do we believe that we're going to be clothed with immortality? Do we really believe that? You know, America is a country that loves um, superheroes. That's what I've noticed. I spent, I'm 50, I've spent about 25 years here, 25 years overseas. America loves superheroes, man. Superhero 5, you know, it's like, what is it? Like Iron Man 6 is coming out or something like that? Rocky 10? It's like, it's ridiculous. But we love it. I got good news. If you like superheroes, you are the superhero, God says. You're going to be clothed with immortality. It gives me, I don't know about you, it gives me motivation in my daily grind of life to keep going, to do good. 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus saw him, she fell at his feet. Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him, he asked. Jesus wept. You know, when Jesus looks at our lives, he weeps. He does. You know, think about Olivia, you know, losing her father this past year. It's not a good year. You know, I lost my father about four years ago. I'm still working through it. I'll never reconcile that. I lost my dad. I remember the next day after he died, thinking in the morning, he says, this is the first day of me not having a father. And my father was not a disciple. It's unequivocal. He's not a disciple. In my faith, I'm not going to see him again, ever, ever. That's sad. You know, Jesus waited two days. He wasn't sad for Lazarus. He was going to raise Lazarus up from the dead. He was sad for the human condition, that what we go through matters to God. So this resurrection thing is not just like, oh, great, we get to be superheroes. This resurrection has implication. We're going to be together forever. There is no more sorrow. There's no more separation. Life doesn't have to be that way. And I tell this to Olivia a lot, and you know, and I know that it's probably a little bit inconsiderate of me, but I tell Olivia that you have this hope that I never will have, that you get a chance to see your dad in the future. I don't. And I know it's incredibly insensitive because it doesn't speak to what she's going through now, and that's what Jesus is talking about with these ladies here, what they're going through now. He wept with them. That's why he came, because he cares about us. He cares about each one of us and what we go through. Isn't that amazing? Shortest passage in the NIV 1984 version, whatever. Jesus wept. I know they change it around. Jesus wept. I love that passage. It's good for memory scripture, too. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to skip this. Three points. It's worth looking into this resurrection. For those that are considering visiting with us today, it's worth looking into. Number two, it's worth living for. For those who are disciples. And lastly, as we prepare for our communion, it's worth dying for as well. It's worth looking into. So Peter and the other disciples started to the tomb, and they were both running, and the other disciples outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked into the strips of the linen lying there, but did not go on, go in. That's one. This is John chapter 20, after the resurrection of Jesus. They were checking out the tomb, and they looked inside. And we're going to do a little bit of, of a word study here on the word look. Then Simon came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the clothes that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying there, and, but he looked and he saw what was going on. And we're going to do a little study on that word look because there are three occasions when the word looked is, is in that scripture. And this is really cool because the word look in this sense here is, is when the disciples saw Jesus in, in, in um, I'm sorry, in Revelation 21. This nuanced definition of the word look means what? To have realized something, to perceive something. When the woman saw, looked into the tomb, it was more of our way of looking at the word look, all right? Just looking, a physical way of looking. But the way that Peter was described here, as we go back, he saw the strips of linen there lying there, 
And that's a third way of the word look. Okay? Adon, blepo, and theoreo. And I want you to guess this. Okay? Blepo means look, look, like just looking around. Adon, the first one, means to realize. Kind of like things are coming together. What do you think that the first, that the last one, theoreo? We have a word just like that. What do you think, what do you think it is? What does it sound like, theoreo? Theory. It's the third nuance of the word look. What does that mean? That means that Peter, as he looked into the tombs and he saw the empty tomb and he saw the linens, he was theorizing in his mind. That's how he looked at it. The first point is what? Let's, let's, it's worth considering. It's worth looking into. It is. And I want to ask you this. If you're visiting with us today, if you don't have a better idea of what's going to happen after you die, consider this. It's a good option. It's a good thing. It's very feasible. It's very viable if you look at who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. Number one, it's worth looking into. Number two, there's a story. We don't have time to go through this. But this guy, right before the storm, he, he, he bought himself like a little moat thing. People thought he was crazy. He says, I was the crazy guy. Everybody was kind of going by laughing at me. But today, this is Hurricane um, Harvey. But today, they're really impressed with this awkward dam that he bought for $8,000. There he is. There he is. Number two is worth living for. Okay? This is the Apostle Paul as he was explaining why he did what he did. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He continues. It is right for me to feel this way uh, about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending the, confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He goes on. He says that my prayer is this, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's expressing his very heart for the people that he ministers to. He says, I love you. I care about you. He says, when I'm not with you, I miss you. That's the kind of ministry that Paul was striving to have. It's worth living for. And it doesn't come, it doesn't come automatically. It takes work. It takes this kind of expression, this kind of passion, this kind of heart. And look what he said at the end. But for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I'd rather die. He said, for I, am going, for I am going on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Not wasted time. I can do something about this world. It's so easy to complain about the world. Do something about it. He said, yet, what shall I choose? 
I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in his body. It is worth living for. This world has so many people that have no idea why they're here. Isn't that sad? They've been given this life. They have no idea why they're here. That's not the way it is for disciples, for Christians. We should be the most fired up, enthusiastic, passionate people on the face of the earth. We should be. Amen? And we can be. Amen? As we close on out to take communion. It's worth dying for. That's how Jesus felt. As we close on out. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down in the right hand of the throne of God. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, and that's what he thought about. He thought about you and me. For the joy set before me endured the cross. It was worth dying for. In his eyes, at least. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you that you have that spirit, that heart, that when you look at us, just a, a piece of work, God, just a mess, that you still consider us people who are worth dying for. As we take communion, God, help us to appreciate you, to love you, and to appreciate the body that was broken before us and the blood that was shed before us. We love you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.